Man, go ahead and have a seat, you guys. Merry Christmas. How is everybody today? Um, so, um, let me, I, w- I want to say to you, and I want you to, to hear me say this to you, that um, Jesus, Jesus loves you. Um, and those words, for me to say Jesus loves you, means more than you probably understand. And know that it means more than, than I understand. Um, when you and I love someone, when you say to another human being, I love you, or another human being says to you, I love you, we can get our, our minds around what that means, right? You've probably said, I love you to someone. And you can probably wrap your, your, your mind around what you mean to communicate with that. And or when somebody says it to you, you can probably wrap your mind around it. But when Jesus says that he loves you, and when Jesus loves you, it means something different. Um, we've done this, these themes of Advent now for, uh, I don't know, six or seven years in a row. Hope, joy, peace, and love. And every year it gets more and more hard to do this one because um, I think... I begin to understand the love of Jesus a little bit more, and then I, I compare that with the love that I have, um, and I can't imagine loving my wife or loving my kids or loving you all any more than I do. I can't imagine that, but when I compare the way that I love my wife and that I love my kids and I love you to the way that Jesus loves, it just seems so weak and... Um, and, and frankly, makes me feel bad about who I am um, because I think I know what love is and I really just don't understand. Um, for us, love is a song. Love is a movie. Love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Um, love is something we can fall into or fall out of. Um, love is emotive. It's about how you make me feel. You ever ask someone that you love this question? Why do you love me? I think just rooted in that question is uh, a a misunderstanding of love. Um, And we'll talk about that in in a minute. But um, maybe think about what was going on in your heart. Have you you ever asked anybody that question? Have you ever asked, why do you love me? I've asked my wife that question. Like early on when we had first said I love you, and we asked that question of each other. And I thought it was a good question good question for us to really think about, but I, I, I believe now, all these years later, that that's probably a bad question because it leads us down a path that is, because ultimately, if my answer, if, if Jen asked me why you love me and I gave her an answer, and, and somehow, some way, that answer changed or she stopped being those things, does that mean that I stopped loving her? Um... So, like the beginning of this message this morning is to help us to understand that we just don't understand what love is when we say Jesus loves you. Um, Love is pop culture. Love is uh, John Cusack holding a boombox outside of a bedroom. Love is Tom Cruise saying, you complete me. Um, Most of the time, love that we see in pop culture or that we see in our lives is centered on ourselves. Um, 
But the more I know and see what Jesus is and what he did and contrast that to what I know myself to be, I begin to understand that love is a hard thing to describe. Kevin DeYoung, who is an author, you can find a lot of his stuff blog writing on the Gospel Coalition's website. Um, He says this, I think it's in your bulletin as well on the screen. Love is harder than we think. Of course we love our kids and grandkids. Um, And my grandkids are here today, by the way. Very happy. I'm sorry, I was in the middle of a conversation when they started walking down the stairs and I completely, whoever that was that I was talking to, I'm sorry. Um, Because I love my grandkids. Let's go back to Kevin DeYoung. Of course we love our kids and our grandkids and those who treat us well. We love nice people. But Jesus says even the pagans do that. That's not hard. People love who, people love people who love them. Is that true of you? Do you tend to love the people who love you? And I hope you're convicted because I've been having to deal with this for like a week. So welcome into my, my conviction. But we will keep on loving them as long as it means bearing burdens we would rather not be bar- bothered with. We will love when the people we love, will we love when the people we love do not love us in return. We'll wait, lay down our lives for those who are unlovely, undeserving, and ungrateful. Um, I want you to know that from all eternity past, Jesus was receiving worship in heaven. Everything around him was absolutely perfect. The Bible says that there was no need for light or lamp because the Lord gives light. This is heaven. All around him forever, for all eternity past, were trees that continually give fruit, streets made of pure gold, beautiful, perfectly clear, perfect crystal was around him at all times. Everything was perfect in absolutely every way. But Jesus left that. Um, If I am sitting on my sofa watching a football game and my children, who I love more than I I can communicate to you, were to say to me, Dad, come here, my response would be, my immediate response in my head was, can I, was that dad come here loud enough that I could ignore it? And if it wasn't, what can I say to make them feel bad for even asking me? Like, you guys are like giggling, but this is the truth. This is what's happening inside of my brain. Yet Jesus left something that was perfect in every way for this. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered to Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Teenagers both, by the way. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And when she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end, Jesus left perfection to come to this. I won't get off of the sofa for someone that I proclaim to love and I go through this exercise of how can I not have to do this? Or how can I make them feel bad so that they won't ask me to do this? Jesus loves you. Um, The biblical word that's most used in the Bible to that we translate as love, is the Hebrew word ahava. And ahava is a compound word that means to give and to stay. Those two things come to, where, where giving and staying come together to meet an object of your love. So inherent, when I say that Jesus loves you, it's a stark contrast to our culture's definition of love, to likely your definition of love. The dominant culture's definition of love is not to stay, is not to give. It is to receive. Um, I heard this said about Ahava. Ahava is willful. It stays. It says, I have seen the worst of you, and I'm going to stay because I love you. Like, imagine that. Four things that I want to say this morning about biblical love, this idea of ahava, and this idea of, of Jesus leaving the perfection of heaven to come here to this earth. First, and I think this is, this is my favorite of the four, that it's self-motivated. Jesus, when Jesus says he loves you, it's self-motivated. It's motivated within Jesus. Your lovability has nothing to do with you. Um, your being loved by Jesus has everything to do with him. Think about someone you love right now. Get a name. Get a, if you're a visual person, get a, a visual person in, in your head. Think about someone you love. Why do you love them? Is your love for them capable of ending or lessening? Um, now, Think about someone that, here's a little bit harder of a question. Think about somebody that you used to love, that maybe you don't love anymore. Think about somebody that that you said to them, I love you, at one point in your life. And now, if they were sitting next to you, you would want to move. Why is that? What happened to that love? Why, why is it not love anymore? Why do you not love them anymore? Was it you? Was it them? Was it both of you? Do you make demands on the one that you love? Go back to the first person you thought about. The person that you still love. Do you make demands on that person? Do you say to them, don't cheat on me, don't lie to me? Act the way I want you to act. Make me happy. These are all elements of love that are motivated in the lovability of the object. 
the person that you love and the person that you used to love and the demands that you place on the people that you do love are completely dependent upon the lovability of the object of your love. When Jesus says that he loves you, it's independent of you and completely dependent upon him. Jesus' love for you has everything to do with him and nothing to do with you, no matter where you are or who you are or where you've been. Let me say this again. No matter where you are or who you are, what you've done or where you've been, Jesus loves you. There's nothing between the love of Jesus and you right now. That is perhaps the most incredible news that you'll hear today. There's nothing between you and the love of Jesus right now. So not only is biblical love, Jesus' love, self-motivated, it's also demonstrated. Um, so I am tattooless, but one day when I finally get up the courage to get one, it's going to be this word, um, sunisteo. In Romans 5, 8, says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrates is the Greek word sunisteo. And it's translated best as to place within your reach. Um, today, if you go to lunch and you go to a restaurant where there's a, a server, you're gonna server's gonna come to your table. You're gonna you're gonna say, "I would like to have the whatever. Bring me the chicken. I'd like the chicken." And a little bit later, somebody in the kitchen is gonna make that chicken, put it on a plate. And then that server is going to take that plate from the kitchen and put it on your table. This is, that's a picture of sunisteo. Placing something within your reach. Placing something in such a way that you can interact with it. Because that chicken does you no good if you're at a table and it's in the kitchen. Um, several times this month we've heard a knock on the door. And then our dog go crazy. And we walk to the window, and there's somebody driving up the street in a brown truck and a box sitting on our porch. That's also sunisteo. Taking something that was over there and putting it right here where you can interact with it. Um, a few years ago, I went to Haiti, um, and I got to preach in a Haitian church. And they speak this sort of Haitian language. is sort of French, but not really, and it's a little bit different. And... Um, had I been reliant to learn this Haitian language, I, would have, I, w I wouldn't have been able to, to communicate. But I had a, a translator standing next to me while I preached. And I, I would say, like, three lines, and then he would repeat them. And I would say three more lines, and he would repeat them. And, say, and so that's also sunisteo. So this is big word that basically means this is the incredible love that God has for you. And Jesus is going to put it on a shelf that you have the ability to interact with it. Isn't that incredible? Jesus loves you in such a way that you can interact with his love. And not just that, but it's not far off. His love is not in the kitchen. It's on your plate right in front of you, waiting for you to interact with it, waiting, waiting for you to partake of it. And how, what is that demonstration? That demonstration is his death for you. Look, God demonstrates, God sunisteos, God brings the chicken from the kitchen to your table. And this, while you were still a sinner, he died for you. 
while you were repulsive to him, he died for you. And I think about that. I think about sunisteo and what sunisteo means in Romans 5.8. And I think about my worthless self sitting on the sofa trying to ignore my children. Or worse yet, trying to ignore my wife. I know i got to go hang up clothes in a dryer. But it's third and ten. It's a big down, big play. Did she say it loud enough where I can... Oh, babe, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. And I can't imagine loving anyone more than I love my wife. Yet Jesus, so incredible. The third thing, biblical love, Jesus' love sacrifices. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The thing about Jesus' love is that it cost him so much. It cost him heaven, left heaven to come to this earth. Um, and here's the thing, around this time that we, like, we begin to see Jesus as, as man and not God, but he was fully God as a baby, 100%. And as fully God as a baby, he comes, he like, it's like me leaving the sofa for someone who was going to just be awful and evil to me. He comes, think about, like, at the beginning of Jesus' life, we get, we get warm and fuzzy, and we sing songs like Away in a Manger, and we gather around pretty Christmas trees, and, and we just feel warm in our, in, our, in our hearts, right? But Jesus was fully aware that the last week of his life, Everyone that he invested all of his life in would abandon him. Yet he still remained. Imagine, think about that person that, that you don't love anymore, that maybe you thought of already. Imagine the evil that they've done to you that has caused you to say, if they came and sat next to you, you would want to move away. Imagine that person, and, 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 and that's not coming close yet to, to what we have done to Christ, and yet he lays down his life for us. Jesus knows that his closest friends that he spent all of his life with will abandon him when he faces the hardest of times. Jesus knows that you will be unfaithful. Jesus knows that you're going to chase after idols, but he loves you. He's still willing to lay down his life for you. The fourth thing, um, Jesus willingly suffers. Um, I had this idea that I wanted to share with you about this point, that Jesus' love shows you that he's willing to suffer for you. Um, and uh, there's a 30-second clip that I want to show you because it's, it's a clip from John Piper, and it just it nails exactly what this is talking about. Boston, hit that uh, video for me, buddy. Jesus died for you. He didn't just die. I mean, dying is one thing, and it can be quick and easy. It wasn't. It was long, and it was horrible. And he chose every minute of it because he could have stopped at any time. He just kept choosing to suffer and choosing to suffer and choosing to suffer and choosing to suffer. And I'm just saying, how are you doing? 
Are you choosing to suffer for anybody? Or does the moment it gets costly, you bail? There's two, there's two pieces to that that are just incredible that I, I need you to hear. I need to hear. Like, he, he just kept suffering and kept suffering and kept suffering. At, at any time, he could have stopped. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going back to heaven. But he didn't. He kept going. He kept suffering. And then the, the second piece is like really personal. Like when, when, when Piper says, how are you doing with that? When loving gets hard, what are you doing? Do you bail? Yes is the answer. But here's the beautiful part about the love of Jesus is, is because you've said yes to I'm going to bail. This is too hard. I'm not going to do this anymore. Even though you've said that, Jesus still remains with his love. And that's like, that's why this is so hard every year to, to this Sunday, before Christmas, every year, I preach about love, and it's so hard. Because I look back on 2018 and the ways that I've bailed, or the ways that people have bailed on me. And I get really frustrated. And then I think about my love and the people that love me and all of those things, and then I compare that to Jesus, and I just realize that I'm just, every, here's, in the, the still moments of me trying to figure out what the heck I'm going to say to you every Sunday. In those still moments, I'm like, this is just pointless. Because no one's going to understand. And even if the people do understand, that's not going to change anything. Because we're all failures. And then I spend a few hours thinking about that. And feeling sorry for myself and feeling bad about you and, and praying. And then somewhere the gospel walks in and says, I love you. And my heart is full. And I realize that I don't have to be a great communicator. And you don't have to be great followers of Christ. And neither do I. To receive the love of God. So, three things can happen with that notion. First, and hopefully immediate, is a worshipful attitude towards Jesus. When we, the next time you're sitting in a restaurant and a server brings you a plate of food, you can pause and just worship him and consider all that he's done. So the first thing we can do is be inspired to worship. The second thing we can do is this gospel component that realizes I am not that, I'll never be that, I'll never fully understand love, and I'll never love the way I'm supposed to love. But Jesus loves me anyway. And then the third thing, I think we're good as a church at the first two things. I don't think we're very good at this one. It's to be sent. You and I, we have seen the love of Jesus. 
And now our call is to go be sent with the love with this kind of love. So I want to ask you a rhetorical question that I want you to spend response time considering. Who is God calling you to love as Jesus loved you? I could say something to try to help you with that, but I don't want to. I just want to say, I want you to spend some time during response time to consider that, this question, who is God calling you to love as Jesus loved you? Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for loving me. God, I confess to you and to this church that you've given me to lead that I am, I fail at love, God. God, I ask you to forgive me for my failure to love. God, I pray that you would um, continue to convict my heart, Father. That we might see you as beautiful and we might engage with your perfect love, God. We might see your acceptance of us. And that it might change us to go and love better or love well, Father. God, forgive each of us where we fail to love. God, thank you for the perfect example of love that has seen the very worst of us but chooses to stay, chooses to suffer. Thank you so much for Jesus. God, I pray that these next couple of days, Father, Christmas Eve tomorrow and Christmas Day the next day, Father, that you would, as we give to those that we love, as we receive from those that we love, and as we are just surrounded by people that we love, or maybe even people that drive us crazy, Father, that somewhere in the mix of all that, commercialism and family and love and stuff that we would find you and we would see and know that you love us. God, thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.